Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to Sedaris. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, Greece. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some in the seat back right in front of you. And if you're uh, using that Bible, you're going to find 1 Corinthians on page 1011. 1011, you could also pull out your phone, Google 1 Corinthians, and it'll pop up. We'll be, I'll be reading out of the CSB version of the Bible, so you could Google 1 Corinthians CSB, and then you'll find exactly what I'm looking at today. So I'm so excited we're starting a brand new sermon series in the book of Corinthians, and uh, it's fantastic. So you say, why, why are we doing this book of the Bible? How do we decide? Well, first of all, um, we believe that the Word of God is our guide, the most important thing it's our place to start, and so mo- more often than not, the way we preach or we plan our preaching series is we pick a book of the Bible and we walk through it verse by verse, looking at what God will reveal to us. So I don't know everything that he'll reveal to us, but as I've prayed and I've leaned in, the book of 1 Corinthians has just been, it's been uh, I've been unable to get it past my mind, and so that's usually a good sign. This God has something for us in this book. Now, I gotta say up front, one of the reasons that is is because my favorite chapter in the whole Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if you know a little bit of my story um, and the story of this church, Sedaris is actually the Latin root of the word consider. So um, in 2007, my older sister Kim was killed in a bicycling accident. And she was 26 years old. At the time, I was 24. And I got a phone call from my dad that she had been killed. And uh, I was at a St. Patrick's Day parade. And I walked into this back alley. And I just cried out to God for 25 minutes. I was a Christian at the time. But I nearly lost my faith in those 25 minutes. How could a good God, as we just sung about, how could he allow this to happen? About 25 minutes in, I sat down completely exhausted, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. I was at the end of myself. I was not the same person that I was, and all of a sudden my vision went completely white. And I received a message from my sister, delivered to me by God through his spirit, like a download. And she said, Dave, I want you to ask my friends, many of whom did not know I was a follower of Jesus, to consider him. So consider has been this word. I shared that at her memorial service in front of probably 1,200 people. And God's continued to put it on my heart year after year. Keep asking people to consider Jesus. We started a concert ministry, and for two years at the Showbox Theater and then the Moore Theater, we asked thousands more to consider Jesus. And then God kept putting it on my heart. I don't want you to stop considering Jesus. I want you to create a space for them to consider Jesus. I went back to seminary eventually five years later, moved back to Seattle, and we started Sedaris Church. And the reason we called it Sedaris was because this Latin root, Sedaris, comes from consider and and, and means heavenly body. So our goal, our desire is to help each and every person who walks into this community and spends time in this community to think about life with what 1 Corinthians 15 calls our new, uncorruptible, imperishable, heavenly body. Our resurrected body that will be resurrected just as Jesus himself was resurrected. A new body that is not susceptible to the diseases, plagues, epidemics, and trucks of this world. So when I sing the goodness of God, it's primarily because I realized that Jesus Christ has promised that he will raise my sister back to life. That she too, though her earthly body was killed, her heavenly body is still promised and she will be alive again. And so 1 Corinthians 15, if you've never read it, just go read it. It will be the lens through which we look at all of Corinthians. There's 16 chapters in in 1 Corinthians, but chapter 15 is the crescendo. It's sort of where Paul's moving, that the resurrection is true, and therefore if it's true, What does it mean for everything else about how we conduct ourselves as a community, how we live our lives individually, where we put our priorities, how we think of our possessions in this life, 
And so first, I didn't even realize when I was delivering my sister's message, I never, I never even knew about 1 Corinthians 15. And then over the years, as, as I've studied, I realized, and you'll read it right there in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talking about our heavenly bodies. So if you're new at Sedaris, there's a little introduction of why we use this strange name that nobody knows how to spell or say. It's the Latin, heavenly bodies. And uh, God has shown me over the years that 1 Corinthians is a great place to understand what that heavenly body is all about and why it's so important to live our life with that heavenly body in mind. So that, that's something I'm so excited to get to. And when we finally get there, it'll take us a while to get there. But when we finally do, we'll spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 15 unpacking all these beautiful truths that Paul, inspired by the Spirit, lays out for us about the heavenly body. So why does he close with that? but then have 14 chapters to get there. Well, he's working inductively to show us how to live our life now in light of the truth of the resurrection. So I want to start real quick just looking at the narrative about the Apostle Paul in Corinth. So you may have heard of Corinth. It's not far from Athens, but it was at one point the center of sort of the intellectual world, right? The, the Greeks were forerunners to the Romans. In fact, even at this time, the whole Roman Empire was known as the Greco-Roman world. Why is that important? Well, even though the Greeks didn't run anything, they still got a shout-out. <laughs> okay, when we talk about the Greco-Roman world, why? Everyone was still speaking Greek. It was the common language. In many ways, it's like English is in the world today. Most people have to figure out how to speak Greek in order to make it in the Roman world. The language of Rome was not Latin, it was Greek. The New Testament's written in what? Greek. So the Greco-Roman world, while Greece was no longer a powerhouse, Alexander the Great was Greek and he conquered much of the Mediterranean world, and then the Romans came along and conquered the Greeks. But still their culture is everywhere, and they had this sense in them that they were still the elites, the smartest people in the room, the most wise. Even though the Romans may have had the power, they had the wisdom. This will be important as we look at the book of Corinthians. So, if you want, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And the book of Acts is, it follows right after the four Gospels, which are biographies of Jesus' life. And then the book of Acts is all about the beginning of the Jesus movement. So, Acts chapter 8 is going to tell us uh, about Paul's visit. Actually, sorry, Acts chapter 18 is going to tell us about the Apostle Paul's visit to the city of Corinth. And so let's just read it together, starting in verse 1. I think we're going to have that up on the screen here for you as well. So all of Acts is a narrative of everything that happened as Jesus transferred authority to his apostles, the sent ones, as they went out to start churches all over the Greco-Roman world. So Acts 18, verse 1 says this. After this, he, that's Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. We have a great Priscilla in our congregation. We love Priscilla. Priscillas are always great. Because Claudius, that's the Roman emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, on the side, Paul was making tents, building houses, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, those are two of Paul's intimate um, disciples, those who Paul taught and raised up, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted the, um, and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. For now, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius. Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. You see, I love this. So the Jews sort of reject what Paul's saying, that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So he says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, which just means, you could say, to the Greeks, because he's in Corinth, so it's to the Greeks. And what is, how far does he go? <laughs> does it go far? He's like, I'll just go next door. The guy next door, he's offering me free lunch. I'll go share with him the message I've got. I just love that. We don't always have to get too creative, you know. It's like, where do I go next? Well, just go next door. It's beautiful. So he goes next door. He says, you want to hear some cool things about who God is and what he's done and how he saved the world and how he can save you as well, even though you're not a Jew but a Greek? He says, yeah, I'd love to hear that. So he comes indoor. He's already a worshiper of God, probably because he lives next to the synagogue, and he has learned a little bit about the Jewish people and the Jewish God. And he says, I want to hear more. So then Crispus, this is verse 8, leader of the synagogue, he also believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. You see the order of events? He goes next door. The Jews reject him, so he goes next door to the Greek. The Greek starts to experience life. Then the guy who runs the synagogue next door starts coming over and seeing what's happening at the Greek's house. See what I'm saying? He becomes a Christian, and this whole household becomes a Christian. It's not rocket science. Paul just goes to whoever will listen, along with this whole house. So then many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and were baptized. Then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. Read that again. I have many people in this city. He stayed there for a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. God has many people in this city. We don't know all of them yet. But that's why we're here, and we won't be silent, and we're not afraid. Because God says, I have a lot, of pe- a lot of my people are in Seattle, and they need family, and they need a worshiping community, and they need to hear the good news about Jesus, receive it, I have many people in this city. So the Apostle Paul, led by the Spirit, starts a church in Corinth. Where there was no church, he started a church. And and so he writes this letter years later to them, a church he started. So this is like a child of his. I mean, he has so much love. It's it's not some distant uh, people to him. He's writing to people he knows that he led to the Lord. That it was through his teaching that they came to hear about Jesus. So it's very personal. So it's important to understand as we read through the book of Corinthians, the letter. These are people that Paul knew, most of them, for he was the one who started the church. So then years later, now Paul is in Ephesus, and this is probably around A.D. 55. Jesus was, was killed and, and resurrected in early 30s. So this is 20, a little over 20 years after Jesus' ascension and the beginning of the church movement. Paul's planted this church, and now he's in Ephesus, and, and um, he, uh, he hears some things about what's happening in the church in Corinth, some things that are disturbing to him, things that he did not teach them. They're living in certain ways that are different than how he teach them that he thought were not in line with what the gospel taught. And so he hears about these things. He actually, it seems we'll see this later, had sent them one letter that we, we don't know. It was not kept. It must not have been a very good letter. <laughs> and then they sent him a letter back and said, we don't really understand, we don't really, we don't get what you're saying. We don't really agree with it. And then the, this letter that we have that's called 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that he sent, clarifying what he's already said and adding to it. And he's heard from Chloe's people some of this stuff that's going on. So that's sort of the context. So this is real life. Okay, I actually have a map here uh, that I want to show you because I, I, I just Googled it. Directions from Corinth to Ephesus. These are real places in the real world. This is Google Maps telling me how I could today get from Corinth to Ephesus. You see Greece here? You remember this? This is like middle school coming all, all, all back to you guys. And uh, you have the Aegean Sea. Now today, it only takes you 14 hours by car to get from Corinth to Ephesus which is crazy to me. You can actually take a ferry <laughs> across the Aegean Sea. Wild. You gotta take three ferries, a seven hour ferry and two two hour ferries. And then it's not much driving at all and then you end where the red dot is, that's Ephesus in modern day Turkey. You see how close Corinth and Athens are. These are real people in a real place in a real time and Paul knew them and he's writing them, this message to them because he loves them and he cares for them. And he wants them to be healthy and whole. And he wants them to glorify God. 
He wants the reputation of Christ to remain intact. So important that you understand this context as we get into what will be, you'll see, many challenging passages, passages where Paul is exhorting them in how they are to live their life. So what I want to do today is I want to give you what will become the subtitle of our series. The series is 1 Corinthians, but the subtitle will be this, and I'll break it down word by word for you so you can understand what this subtitle is. So if you know people that aren't here this morning, make sure they go back and watch this video because it will give context for all the other sermons that we will have. So here's the subtitle. Here's the big idea. From my perspective of what at least I want to pull out of this whole letter. Here it is. Ready? So you're taking notes, you can write this down. Moving in step with, with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. I'll say it again. Moving in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. That is what I believe Paul is trying to help the Corinthian church do. To once again begin to move in step with this very peculiar wisdom of Christ. Okay? So now I'm just going to break down each of those terms so that we have an understanding of at least what I mean when I say moving in step, peculiar, wisdom, and why is Christ so important to this. Here we go. The first is moving in step. What do I mean by in step? What does it mean to be in step with something? Now, um, if... You don't even have to have had a baby because we've all seen TV shows or movies that uh, re-dramatize this for us. But when, when, when a husband and a wife, they go in to have a baby, there's something called Lamaze. You've heard of this? Uh, and, and there's breathing techniques that they teach you to do. And as a husband, you're like, this feels important, but I'm not very good at it. I see Kurt in the back here. He's like, yeah, that's right. He's not very good at it. And uh, he's done it twice. Now... What is the technique? The technique is trying to get in rhythm as father and mother in the breathing during a very painful, slow, often, process. Because the breathing can reduce the pain naturally. And what is it? What are you trying to do? You've heard the hee hee hoos. <laughs> You're, try, you're just trying to get, you're trying to help, I, I'm saying we as the men, trying to help our wives make sure they're not holding their breath, but they're, they're breathing through the pain, okay? So we're trying to get in step. We're trying to get our breathing in step. What's another example? Um, I'll come back to this one in just a second, but you've heard of like, you, you sing, you've heard of synchronized walking or mirroring. You spend time with people and you begin to mirror their gestures or when you're walking, your stride, your gait actually begins to mirror them. Now you're in step, you're in rhythm, you're in sync. You think of a marching band, how they're all in sync. You think of a, a flock of birds, how they move in sync, okay? This is what we're talking about. Moving in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. So let me break down like synchronized walk. I actually did some studying on synchronized walking because I think it's fascinating. It's also known as mirroring if, you're, if you've studied psychology at all. Um, so what it is is it's actually an unconscious thing. You're not like try, it's not, it's not um, conscious. You're not like trying to imitate. It just happens naturally. And um, scientists will say like it's way, it happens way too frequently to just be happening by chance. So, th so statistically it just wouldn't happen. It's, it's, for it to be random, not a thing. It just happens too often. And here are the things that sort of lead to more and more sort of synchronized walking, even though it's unconscious. The closer the relationship is between the individuals, the more often you will actually be able to see synchronized walking. If they're in conversation together, and everybody knows that Sidera how much we love conversation, it actually leads to a higher uh, instances of synchronized walking. So if you're actually talking to each other, you tend to walk in sync. Isn't that interesting? Third thing, if you're holding hands, then the instances of synchronized walking also go up. Now the one thing, or the thing that most commonly breaks synchronization, is external distraction. 
So I actually watched a video of this study being done as they're watching um, a sidewalk and filming it, and they say, go to this time in the video and watch what happens to these two women who are synchronized and they're walking. Something happens over here on the street, and they both look, and immediately they're out of sync. So this very unconscious psychological phenomenon is happening all the time. And what Paul is going to tell the Corinthians, and I believe what God is telling us, is that when you're moving out of step with Christ, which is something often very unconscious, like most of us don't say, I think I want to be out of step with Christ today, or this month, or, or this year, or during this pandemic. I think I'm, I, I'd really like to get out of sync with him. I think it's messing me up. No, no it's unconscious. It just sort of happens. And, and if we could zoom out and just see how out of step we were, we'd be like, whoa, how did that happen? When we realize that we're out of step, because that's unconscious, we have to very much consciously do the things necessary to get back in step. That's what Paul's saying. He says, guys, I've heard some things. I've got some... I've, I've been able to hear from Chloe's people, and I can tell by the way you're writing your letters, and I've heard stories of the way the church is, and the way you guys are doing life together, and it is out of step. But I want to give you some practical things to help you, one, see that, and then ways to get back in step. And since the in-stepness, right, is unconscious, it's going to have a lot less to do with just trying so hard to walk in step with Christ. And that's not exactly how Christ walks, by the way. It's, it's not so odd, odd as that. But you're going to have to do the other things. You're going to have to have a close relationship. You're going to have to have a conversation with God. You're going to have to hold hands with, with Jesus in order to get back in step. So first you've got to notice you're out of step. And then you've got to begin to move in the ways that get you back in step, in sync with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. Now, there are three ways, I think, in which God wants us to be in step with Christ. The first, we want to be in step with Christ's character. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians. So there'll be a lot of a talk about what is the character of God that we see through the character of Christ. And so we have to study the moral teachings of Jesus. How has God revealed moral truth Rightness and wrongness in the world, in every area. We want to be in step with Christ's character. That's being in step with Christ's character. It's not just following rules. It's being in step with Christ's character. Number two, we want to be in step with Christ's people. So the other thing you'll see a lot in 1 Corinthians is this talk of, I hear about all this disunity in the church, Paul will say. That, that is not right. You have unconsciously got out of step with Christ because when you are in step with Christ, you will be in step with Christ's people. There will be a kind of unity. There will be no division. You'll be in step with Christ's people. And if you're not, something's off. You're not in step with Christ. It's one spirit, Paul will say elsewhere, between all believers. Does anybody think that the church in America is in step with each other? Number three, we want to be in step with Christ's message. What is his message? He calls it the good news. I came, Christ said, to preach good news. What is the good news? It's the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus, his death for their sin, his resurrection to conquer sin, shall not perish eternally, but have eternal life. My son Grayson was just memorizing that verse this week. And I said, okay, let's hear it, Grayson. He skipped the first part, for God so loved the world, and he's to the end. He nailed the end. And I said, now, Grayson, now why is that, that God sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life? He said, I don't understand the question. <laughs> and for those of you who have been in meetings with me, this happens all the time. Dave asks leading questions, and then you're not sure. What, what kind of answer do you want? So Grayson's like, I don't know what you want here, Dad. I was like, well, the reason, Grayson, is because he so loved the world. We can't forget that part of the verse. Like when, when, when you try to get in step and in sync with 
the message of Jesus, it is also getting in step with the heart of God. So the gospel says this, the cross leads to resurrection, which is to say death leads to life, which is to say what? Weakness leads to power, which is to say what? Humility leads to wisdom, which is to say what? Self-sacrifice leads to self-glorification, which is to say what? Excommunication can lead to and will lead to rebirth and unification. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because there's some hard stuff in this book where they kick somebody out of the church. And you say, why would they do that? Because death leads to life. That's the gospel. At times, you need to cut something off so that it can regraft. This is the gospel. Self-restriction can lead to ultimate freedom. That's the gospel. So the wisdom of the gospel, which is the message of Jesus, the upside-down kingdom, the thing that nobody got, the thing that was foolishness to the Greeks, 1 Corinthians will say, the thing that Jews heard about and they said, that, that's not our God, that's a weak God. Jesus says, that's my message. And when you live in sync with that message, when your posture of faith is aligned with the message of Jesus and the message of the gospel, something strange and amazing happens. Let me give you just one example of this. I haven't even told this to the person that's in this story. So if that's you, listen close. On Christmas Eve, we had an amazing service. And I shared a short message. And a, and a beautiful human being named Tylene shared another message. We went home that night. We're, and this was a family service, so the kids were in the service. So my boys don't often get to hear me speak. And Mama said to Grayson, Grayson, what did you think about Dad's message? He says, pretty good. And uh, the problem is, like, right before she asked him about Dad's message, she asked him, what did you think about Tylene's message? And he said, amazing. <laughs> so when Allie asked him, what did you think about Dad's message? He said, pretty good. And then, un, okay, sort of unsolicited, he waited about three seconds, perfect comedic timing, though he didn't realize it. He said, but Ty is a lot better than Dad. <laughs> and I, I, said, I said, you got me, son. True is true. When you see truth, you just accept it. Now, had I not been in step with the gospel message of Jesus, that might have bothered me. That might have crushed me <laughs> to the core. But I am in step, and I real, realize humility comes before glorification. And when true is true, what can you do? So when the message of Jesus, like the things that otherwise might mess you up, they don't mess you up. God's not blessing you financially? Blessed are the poor. They will inherit the kingdom of God. Like, you've got to be in step in all these ways. His character, with his people, with his message. And something strange happens. You get joy out of telling people that your son thinks somebody else is better than you. Great joy. I've been very excited to share that. <laughs> so when you're in step with the gospel, things that would um, otherwise make you sad make you laugh. Amen. Okay, so now, number two, why do I call it peculiar? Why is this wisdom peculiar? So I looked up peculiar. It's just a cool word, first of all. Why did I choose it, though? Well, if you look at dictionary.com, um, these are some of the things it says about what, when something's peculiar. It means that it's strange or odd to most people, to most people. As I just said, in 1 Corinthians one we'll see that it's foolishness to the Greeks this idea of God coming and dying. So most people think it's strange. It's odd. It's not obvious. Then peculiar means unusual. It's not common sense. It's not usual sense. It's uncommon sense. And it takes deep consideration. 
It's just not the thing that you first think of. And that's, that's why the Jews couldn't understand why the Messiah would come like this, even though Jesus showed his Messiahship with all these miracles. Like, they just couldn't get it because it's just, it's, it's not the way it was supposed to be. And if they didn't dive deeper into the consideration, they wouldn't have seen that it's actually the wisdom of God, that he'd actually been talking about for hundreds and hundreds of years in the Old Testament. It's particular or special. That's what peculiar means. Particular or special. Now compare that with something that's broad. Jesus says, my way is the narrow way, but the way that leads to destruction is broad and wide. Meaning it's very, it's, it's very specific. It's very particular, this wisdom. It's not sort of general wisdom that Jesus has. It's very special, particular wisdom. And then finally, when you look up the word particular, um, the thing I'd like to say, but it's, it's uh, you can't own it. No one owns it, for it's God's alone. It's not for sale. There's some type of wisdom that you could, you could sell that sort of becomes a commodity that can be passed around. This wisdom is, it's God's alone. Now, when I looked at peculiar, there's a really interesting history of the word in, in, in the British use, usage of of this word is peculiar is often talked about a parish or a local church that does not um, come underneath or is exempt from the jurisdiction of the diocese. So they would split all the churches in England up into dioceses or regions, and then there'd be like a bishop that kind of ruled, that was sort of the headman over all of these churches. And so if something was a peculiar parish, it would be a parish that wasn't underneath that jurisdiction because it was actually under the jurisdiction of the king himself or herself, the monarch. I thought, that's a great word. This wisdom that we're talking about, this peculiar wisdom, it's from the king, King Jesus. We, as followers of Jesus, are not under the jurisdiction of the world's wisdom, whatever the diocese is we live in, whether it's Pacific Northwest or America or this time frame. We are under the king's wisdom. It's peculiar. We sort of circumnavigate. We go around. Well, I see that you say that, but let's see what the king says. You see that? It's peculiar. I love that. I never knew that's where peculiar came from. So this wisdom, it's strange. It's unusual, but it's very particular and special and, and God alone owns it. We can't figure it out without him. It comes down from on high, you could say. It's very peculiar. So what is this wisdom? What's so important about this word wisdom? Why did we use wisdom? So to help us understand that, let me try to make a distinction between knowledge and wisdom. So knowledge is acquaintance with facts, truths, principles coming from study, research, investigation, or scholarship. It's a dictionary definition of knowledge. So it's acquaintance with facts, truths, and principles. Wisdom is, according to the dictionary, a state of being wise, having the power of discernment, and judging properly as to what is right or wrong. You feel the difference in that? One's a state of being, the other is just acquaintance with facts or truths. Now, both are important. I want you to have knowledge of who God is, what his word says, but ultimately that should serve that you become wise, that you have the state of being wise so that you can discern, that you can judge properly what is right and wrong and good and true and beautiful. That's where we're going. We don't just want you to have more knowledge or acquaintance with facts or truths or what a wise person once said or did. We want you to be wise. We want you to have the power of Christ. So you could, you've probably heard this. this an unknown author says this quote. It's a, it's a famous quote. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. Not the same thing. So in 1 Corinthians we'll see this. It's clear that they have a type of wisdom because wisdom's you know, a state of being wise. It's debatable. Who's really wise? And like I said, the Corinthians were known for centuries as the wisest of people, the Greeks. 
they're, live, they're, they're sort of leaning into or moving with the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of the old or the wisdom of Aristotle or the wisdom of Plato. They're, they're, they're moving with human wisdom or, or worldly wisdom. And Paul's saying, no, you need to move with divine wisdom. This power that comes from on high rather than the power that comes through knowledge only. So let me just read for you uh, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Let's throw it up here on the screen. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He, does, he, he is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For, why is that? For who has known the Lord's mind, God's mind, that we may instruct him? But we, we can, why? Because we have the mind of Christ. So it's not that we check our mind at the door, it's that our mind is renewed from the heart up, from the heart of God up, and then we take on the mind of Christ. Why? Because we're moving in sync with the wisdom of Christ. That's what we're after. That's what 1 Corinthians just keeps pressing on. The wise person has a mind informed and aligned with the heart of God. The, for God so loved the world. What does that mean in real time? We need the mind of Christ. Because Christ didn't talk about the internet. Christ didn't talk about capitalism. Christ didn't talk about a democracy. Christ didn't talk about a lot of the things that we deal with. So we need the mind of Christ, which has in it the power of Christ to discern what is true and good and beautiful and proper and right and how we should live and how we should move and have our being. This is... Wisdom. Um, I thought about this as I was preparing. I said, Jesus is divine wisdom in sandals. And I'm going to explain this, why that was funny to me. <laughs> you may know this. The devil wears Prada. Jesus <laughs> wears Birkenstocks. It's so clear what kind of shoes you should wear. Jesus is divine wisdom in sandals, meaning... Uh, we'll study this. Actually, look at it. Throw it up here. For, uh, in chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, this is what it says. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is in insignificant and despised in the world, what, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that we are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think that's the end of that. Yeah. This is the kind of things you're going to read in 1 Corinthians. That Jesus Christ is God incarnate, the wisdom of God took on flesh, wore sandals. It is wisdom in human form. And guess what? Compared to God, human form is foolishness. <laughs> Insignificant, tiny, and yet God took it on. So when you have in step with the gospel, this is how you're going to live your life. Because you're following divine wisdom. Okay. Now, Let's move on to the last part of the, the phrase here. Why does of Christ matter so much? Why does the of Christ matter so much? Throw it up on the screen here, Chris. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3 will, say, will tell us this. And we'll get into all this in detail. But it says this. Because you are still worldly. He's talking to the Corinthians. For since there is still envy, since there's still strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? I love that line. Mere humans? And, and we all say, like, there's something more than that? <laughs> well, actually, there is. Jump over here. Chapter 15, my favorite chapter in the Bible, verse 47 says this. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust. The second man 
is from heaven. Like the man of the dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's talking about Adam here in the book of Genesis, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What? This is amazing. The reason why Paul's all over them, you're acting like mere humans, is because they have an opportunity and a chance through the Spirit of God to act and be like the man of heaven, like Jesus Christ himself. God in the, they get to take on his image. So why does it matter that it's the wisdom of Christ? Can I just find some peculiar wisdom some other place? Well, yeah, if you just want to have peculiar wisdom of mere humanity, if you want to have peculiar wisdom of divine humanity, then you need the of Christ. He alone has been raised from the dead. You want to be, you want to follow the person that can come back from life, come back from the dead to life? Then you need the of Christ. And we all long for that. The whole world longs for that, intuitively. That's why there's such great fear around this pandemic. That's why we spend so much money on health and medicine. We fear death. And Jesus says, follow me. I'm the only one that's come back from the dead. Even death can't touch you when you follow my wisdom. That's what we're talking about here. You know, I put it in my notes and I didn't have time to look it up. But I almost guarantee you, look at the death rates for 2019, 2020, 2021. Guess what? They'll probably be pretty similar. Death just keeps coming. Death always finds a way. And only one person has ever found a way back from the dead. That's why I love 1 Corinthians 15. That's why I love this letter. That's the kind of wisdom we're following. A wisdom that says, I'll show you how to come back from the dead. So, the key to all of this, of why we, we press into moving in step with this kind of wisdom, is because Jesus has proved that this wisdom leads to life, even after death. It's the key to the whole book. So go read that on your own. The man of heaven says, you can be like me. I will give you my spirit and my power. And so then we become in step with Christ, with, his, with Christ's power, with Christ's mind, and with Christ's destiny. We're in step with the power of his resurrection, the mind of God as he knows it, and his eternal destiny. It's what a promise. So that's why we're studying this book. How do we move in step with this? And that's the plea, 1 Corinthians, moving in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. So now you should ask yourself this question. Well, does it really matter that much? Like, why, if he's the God of life after death, well, why does it matter that I move in step with him in this life? Is he not powerful enough if I don't move in step with him to still raise me from the dead? Great question. Does it really matter? Or you could say it like this. Does it even make that big of a difference being in sync or in, sync or in step versus out of sync or out of step? Paul actually has this question in mind throughout his whole letter. Throw it up on the screen here, Chris. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So almost at the very end of the book, this is the therefore that Paul says. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters. Remember, these are people that he lived with and he brought to Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, be always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is what? Not in vain. Do you ever feel like that? Is it all in vain? Does it even matter? Pouring my life out for these people, does it even matter? Paul says it does matter. It's not in vain. Being steadfast, not drifting about in life, not wandering about, being immovable, being undistracted, acting rightly, seeking truth and wisdom, always excelling, not being lukewarm, not being okay with mediocrity in the Lord's work, it all matters. But why? Why does it matter? Number one, God's glory matters. That's what's at stake. When you live in step, God's glory is magnified. Which is to say this, the wisdom of Christ lived out by the many, the more the merrier, the more living in step, the more beautiful Christ is in the world. The more beautiful God is in the world. God is glorified when the many 
act in step with the wisdom of Christ. Christ is the most beautiful thing. He is, the, he is so good. We sang about that. His beauty and his goodness are seen through his body, through his body movements. And what does scripture say his body is? His people, the church. So it's not in vain. It matters. In fact, I looked up this week. Have you ever seen video of European starlings? It's, it's beautiful. We're gonna show, I'm going to show you a very short video here. European starlings. They're birds. So be, if you're scared of birds, close your eyes. Some of you I know are. <laughs> okay. You know who you are. Okay. So, if you're, so European starlings, it's incredible. Scientists can't figure out even how they do this. Show that video real quick, Chris. Watch this. Have you seen these kinds of videos? Listen. Listen. same time. They actually, you know what they call that? Murmurations. Those are starling murmurations because you hear it. All these tiny little birds working in step, in sync, create this murmur that is both beautiful and draws you in and you can't stop looking at it, but it's terrifying. How in the world are these birds doing that? How are these human beings that are so different, that come from all these nations with all these backgrounds, how are they living in step and sync? It's the power of God. It's terrifying, but I can't take my eyes off of it. It's beautiful. It brings glory to God, and it matters. The reverse is also true. I'm rereading a book by Brennan Manning, and he writes this. He says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So the reverse is true. There is nothing uglier in the world than Christians who are out of step with the wisdom of Christ. It's true, isn't it? It's the ugliest thing. It has the potential to be the be- most beautiful thing and the potential to be the ugliest thing. So we need to find out how to get in step with the wisdom of Christ. Finally, I'll say this. It's n- it, so it's not in vain. God's glory is at stake. The other thing that's at stake is our good, our health, both individually and collectively as the church. Everything that glorifies God also is good for us, whether it's obvious to us now or not. That's what's so hard. It's not always obvious to us that living in wisdom or in step with his wisdom is good for us, but what we find over time is it is. Back to the birds. Canadian geese, researchers have found when they fly in V, in formation, they spend half of the energy that they would use to travel the same distance if they weren't in step. Half of it. If you live your life in sync with the wisdom of Christ, with his people, with his character, with his message, his burden is easy. <laughs> Yoke yourself to that. And I can just tell you it's true. It's good for you. And you'll find that to be also true in time. You've got to take quite a journey to realize I used half the energy as it would have taken to get here on my own. And then finally, it, it makes the world a better place to all who live in it. Part of our job is to bring heaven to earth. And heaven is a place where everyone is in step and in sync and moves in God and his being. The world is better when as many people as possible move in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. It's heaven on earth. That's why we should do it. And I'll close with this amazing illustration. I called my friend Augusta. I said, this sound, I said at the beginning, this sounds so much like marching band language. She was in the marching band at University of Wisconsin, the other UW. And I believe she played the tuba, so you can ask her about that. 
And so I was asking her all these questions, like, how do you do that? Like, how do you guys stay in step? Because the final product is beautiful. It's unity, the sound of it, the visual of it, the camaraderie. It's a beautiful thing. She said, well, Dave, to stay in step, first you need a conductor. You have to have somebody with the big picture who knows where this thing's going, that has a plan, that sees it all. Because each one of us, we can't see it all. So you need a conductor. Second, she said, everyone needs to know their assignment. Because you don't give everybody assignment. She said, I was number 221. And I'd get a chart and I'd look for my number 221 so I knew where to go. Not everybody has exactly the same assignment. There's a lot of things that are the same. Blow hard. <laughs> step, pause, step. You know, like there's some common things, but then everyone has their own assignment. So you just got to know what your assignment is, she said. And you got to take it seriously. And then she said, you need music. You need music. Because I asked her, I said, do you ever practice marching without the music? She said, no, 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 no. You have to have, at least have the drums. I said, that's so interesting. You can't actually be in step with one another just by trying really hard. You need the music. I said, that's so funny. Because the music to me sounds so much like the spirit. You can't be in step without the spirit. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, just like you can't be in step without the music. It's this transcendent other thing that keeps you all moving in the right direction, even if you're moving in different directions because your assignment is different. you got to know the music. You need the spirit, Paul will say. You need to be spiritual people. It's actually, the, this is what Augusta said. It says the music inspires, the music directs, the music serves the physical. Whew, that'll preach. That's the way the spirit moves. So it's not that the physical is unimportant. It's not just about the music. It's the spiritual and the physical working in unison. And then she said this. She said, and finally what you need is the person to your left and to the right. Because they're the ones who you cue off of. Because you can't see the conductor all the time. Sometimes he's blocked. Sometimes you're faced the other way. So you have to trust the person to your left and your right. You have to trust that they take their job as serious as you take it. Because if they get out of step, you're going to get out of step. You know what Paul says? In 1 Corinthians, we're going to get there. He says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. <laughs> and if everybody takes serious the job, knowing their assignment from the conductor, knows that they need the music to serve the physical, everybody's moving in step. The final product is beautiful. It's beautiful. Even if nobody watches. When's the last time you've been to a football game and watched the band perform at halftime? Shame on you. <laughs> that was from Augusta. No, you should watch. I took Grayson to his first ever football game, and I said, we're staying at halftime because Augusta's going to ask me. And we watched, and it was beautiful. Sometimes I feel like the marching band. Nobody cares what the church is up to these days. Everybody gets snacks at halftime. Sunday's all about sleeping in, going and doing something else, and then we'll come back for the real show, which is Monday to Friday. You know what? It doesn't matter. I know there's somebody to my left and somebody to my right. I know I'm in tune with the music, and I'm going to march in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ because I know it brings him glory no matter who's watching. And I guarantee you, somebody's watching. It might be Grayson. One person in that whole stadium might be watching that marching band. And it matters to Grayson. It matters to one of you that we are locked in, in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ and that God has given you other people to march with, other people to make music with. It matters. It is not in vain because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead.